You're listening to Soul Work with San, where we believe your soul is worth the work. We're on a collective journey to lead, live, and love better, and I'm so happy you're here with us. On today's episode, we're going to talk about one of the biggest showdowns in the New Testament. Yes, story time is back. Using Matthew 4, we take a deep dive into not only our temptations, but how to overcome them like Jesus did. It's all a part of spiritual formation, and we go there today. You ready? Let's work. everybody. Good morning, good evening, and good night. (laughs) Depending on what time you went to church and they had testimony service, you'd hear one of those greetings. Now, whatever time you're tuning in, welcome to the show. I'm glad you're here with us. We're building a community of Jesus followers and friends, and you are invited to be a part. Now, I'm hype about this episode because the word is one of those things that just lights me up. It really does. If you know me, you know I love the Bible. Now, I get so passionate about the scriptures and study because of all of the beauty and the joy and the life that can be found in them. And don't let that study get good. Like you start to discover the layers, the intended meaning and the historical connections, the cultural backgrounds, all of that. What? That is where the fun happens. Now, I've been known to holler or even be in the library and have to throw my hands up a little bit because there's something soul stirring that happens when a scripture hits the spot and your spirit gets fed. Fam, there's literally nothing like it. Now, let me be clear, because confession is good for the soul. Let not the passion that you hear be confused with diligence. I need to be in my Bible more. And I imagine I'm not the only one with this sentiment. So my hope is that by the end of this episode, we'll be encouraged together to pick up our word more often and find it satisfying, sensical, and authoritative, just like Jesus did. Now, last week, we talked about the importance of the spiritual discipline of the scriptures, reading it, memorizing it, studying it, meditating on it. They all play a vital part in our growth as a believer. And even if you're listening and you don't believe in Jesus, the Bible can still provide great value and wisdom to your life. While there are so many layers and approaches to learning the Bible, last week I took a more zoomed out approach, if you will, to make it less intimidating. So to review, what do we know? We know that posture is more important than any technique we could ever implement. What does our heart say when we're reading? See, the posture of a student will always be more fulfilling than that of a skeptic. And then we talked about the importance of practice, getting those reps in, not for the sake of information. We're not loading ourselves up on verses just to gloat about what we know, but we're putting the reps in of reading and rereading and pondering and letting the word read us so that we can live, grow, and love. This leads to presence. As we read and are being read, We experience the presence of God, revealing himself through his word. It's beyond words. Well, that was our review, fam. Now, let's get into what's new. This week, we got a hot story time going down. Yeah, we got to go to Matthew 4. It is the ultimate showdown. 
If it was fitting, I'd call it the ultimate versus battle, but Christ has no contenders, huh? I feel happy on that point. (laughs) He has no contenders. So that example doesn't work. But this back and forth is what I'll call it that happens between the tempter, aka the devil, and conquering King Jesus, it's no small thing. Allow me to paint the picture. Story time. Every time it doesn't, every time. I'm going to do it every time. It doesn't matter. Thanks. Matthew 4 opens up with the spirit leading Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, which is wild when you think about it, right? But before we even reflect on that, let's jump up into the action that's happening in Matthew 3. See, Matthew 3 is the beginning of it all. Jesus gets baptized by John. Now, this is huge for a few reasons, but most notable for me is the part of the story where the heavens open up, a dove descends on Jesus, and the voice of God the Father expresses his deep joy and satisfaction in him. Now, this is rich because Jesus hasn't done anything yet, like not one miracle, not one healing, not one nothing of public ministry. He's subjected himself to 30 years of obscure, better yet anonymous humanity. And yet here is God already affirming his existence without performance. Now, you tell me another walk of faith that loves you just because. (laughs) Now, I would go into the rich history of Christianity and how it's this Christ-based, loving, all, valuing, everyone model that truly turned the world upside down. But I want to get back to the juice that's about to go down. All I got to say is God loves first. Now, Matthew 4. So Jesus is literally being celebrated in Matthew 3. There are crowds. His father is pleased with him. He's about to start ministry. Life is good, right? Everything is lining up together nicely. Then the spirit, the same one that descended on him with the stamp of approval and was with him at the celebrate, that one is now leading him into the wilderness for the specific reason to be tempted by the devil. It gets worse. Before any temptation occurs, Jesus first fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. No food, no water. He is hungry. He is lonely. And up to this point, he is experiencing humanity at its lowest. It is from this perceived place of destitution that the enemy tempts him. Because ain't that just like the devil? He waits for when we're at our lowest to come up with the lies. And sure enough, he rolls up on Jesus and says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Bam, verbal jab to the jaw of Jesus. It's been 40 days, fam. Jesus is hungry, hungry. So, of course, the first thing that the enemy brings up is food. Jesus got him, though. He's good. He says, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay, okay, Jesus gets him back with a nice right hook. Now, Satan sees what's up, so he starts twisting. He takes Jesus to a holy city, makes him stand at the pinnacle of it, and he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Oh, 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 so devil, we quoting now? Okay, here's Jesus, smoothest to ever do it. Like your God could never. He says to Slewfoot, 
It is also written, do not test the Lord, your God. Now, that's a three-piece combo to the face to me right there. Your God? Jesus, as famished as he is, he's focused. He did not come to play because the stakes are too high. And both he and the devil know that. So the enemy tries one last ditch effort to compromise God's plan. He takes Jesus to a very high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Then he says to Jesus, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Fam, he tried it. Jesus had enough now. The wind, it's in the bag. He says to him, go away, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord, your God, and serve him only. Battles over, victories won, Satan leaves. Immediately, angels come and begin to minister to him. Lord, what a night, what a fight. (laughs) End story. Now, can we talk takeaways? Because this passage has a bunch of them. But I'm going to hit you with my power three. Number one, let's look at what the enemy attacked first his identity. When he said in verses three and six, if you are the son of God, a lot of translations, what it actually reads is since you are the son of God. This shows the enemy's willingness to try to tempt Jesus to prove himself to be something he already was just before the time. And that's what he attacks us with, our identity. Who are you? No, who are you for real? This is literally what's happening with our generation today. With the help of social media and other technologies, we are constantly flexing or living in this tension of trying to prove to others an identity we already have in Jesus. See, we're already loved. We're already rich. We're already free. We're already beautiful. We're already brave. And yet we spend what we can to show something to others that's already available through faith in Christ. Matthew 4 shows us Jesus endured that same temptation and he successfully overcame. Now we're going to get to how he did that at number three, but let me hit number two right quick. Number two, (laughs) the most devious part of the enemy's intent, it was twofold. See, he attempted to undermine, which is what he always does. He's been doing that since Genesis 3. He wanted to undermine the authority and cohesiveness of the scriptures. Look at how he twisted Psalm 91 in Matthew 4, right? He twists Psalm 91 knowing that's not what it means. When he told Jesus to throw himself down, he's whack. He tried. But here's the second thing that really gets me. He tried to get Jesus to forego his salvation mission in exchange for some earthly glory. In other words, he tried to present to Jesus the kingdom without the cross. I'll give you everything, he said. Just give me worship. This would afford Jesus the exaltation without pain. He could shortcut his way to glory, right? So we want to ascend without the agony. But see, the king has to be crucified. Here's what we can conclude about that. Shortcuts to God's plan They tend to be demonic in nature. Now, before you roll your eyes or scoff, just hear me out. The path is the process and the process is the plan. Here's what I mean. This is why witchcraft is evil. It's because it seeks a power that's void of the true God. It's also the same reason why such sorcery can be practiced in our pulpits. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. 
If not, Matthew 7, 24 wouldn't even exist. But there are people who are proclaiming power and gifts while doing everything they can to shortcut and shortchange God's power. You want glory? Here's the thing about it. Glory requires grief. It comes with pain, and it's not always with ease. If we don't understand this, especially moving forward with all that is to come, we will constantly find ways to sell our birthright. Hey, Esau, that's right. I'm looking at you, sir. We will try and undermine our inheritance for some popularity and coin. Fam, nah. Shortcuts to glory eventually lead to loss. Simply put, the shortcut is not worth your soul. Number three, Jesus overcame the temptation. Like he was able to do what Adam and Eve could not. He accomplished what Israel could not. He did what we often do not do. And without him, we could not do. He confronted the parts within his soul that were aching for relief. And instead of choosing escape by compromising his call, he trusted in the scriptures. And that's it. Jesus doesn't just say no. He doesn't pop off at the enemy. Neither does he rattle off scripture to show the devil how much he knows. He trusts in the scriptures. Yo, this is the difference. He submitted to the scriptures and finds satisfaction in the truth therein. So Jesus models for us biblical authority. When he's desperate for food without friends, the audience that watched him be publicly affirmed, they're now gone. He's by himself, alone with his thoughts. The devil comes to him after the agony of being malnourished for 40 days and tries to sway him with grandeur and an identity that's void of the father's input. And to that, he answers with the word. His weapon of choice was the sword of the spirit. He slices Satan with scripture. Let me ask you, what are we fighting our greatest temptations with? Let's close out here. At the end of the day, it's about trust. Like, do you believe that the Bible is capable of leading you to your greatest joy of leading you to Jesus? Do the scriptures bring us life and strength? Can they help us overcome our lowest, most difficult, soul agonizing moments? And will we love Jesus enough to trust the scriptures the way that he did? Now, fam, for the record, I don't like none of these questions. I, I really don't. I legit rolled my eyes writing them, especially that last one. And I almost deleted it, but conviction gathered me. Yo, it, it gets real. Temptation gets real. This will probably be one of the hardest disciplines to truly practice. Because for some of us, reading it, it's nothing. It's an act of duty designed to make us feel spiritually superior and accomplished as we rush to complete the Bible reading for the day to cross it off our to-do list and move on. For others, we feign ignorance to what it's clearly saying. We give up and hide behind the excuse of difficulty, while there are a myriad of resources free at that available at our fingertips. Now, I'll admit I've been in both of those camps. But fam, imagine the life that's available for us when we let the scriptures expose our hearts, knowing that we're safe and loved and will never be turned away. Yo, like imagine the wisdom we'll receive if we put down our assumptions of how we think life should be and what culture tries to convince us that it is. And what if we let the Lord show us his own wisdom through his word? What about that lasting peace? Not the kind that comes from the high and leaves just as quickly as it shows up. 
And there's no judgment here. I'm just saying there's there's more to life than that. That lasting peace that's so real, it don't even make sense to the natural mind. You know, the kind where trouble's all around you, but it ain't in you. <laughs> My God, that kind, you know, that kind of peace. That's the peace he promised. But we won't know it if we don't read it and don't trust that the Bible tells us so. So today, what are we leaving with? Number one, the enemy will attack an identity we already possess. This is the hardest temptation of life to try and prove to be who we already are. Number two, glory requires grief. It's a part of the process, but the shortcut will shortchange your soul. Number three, the only way to overcome like Jesus did is to trust the scriptures and posture ourselves under its authority. Yo, we are all faced with temptation on a regular basis. Yet even in that discomfort, we have the opportunity to practice, to trust that what God wants for us, even more than us, is our deepest joy. Now, here's a hint. That joy won't ever be found giving in to temptation. I have to keep telling myself that over and over again because the temptation tells us that it can satisfy and soothe us, but it's a lie. Now, it may be a lie we like, but it's a lie nonetheless. By demonstrating full dependence on God and reliance on the scriptures, Jesus overcame the enemy and his victory qualified him to be our savior. So when it mattered the most, he didn't drop the ball. He gave us the code to conquer, fam. It's time to get those reps in. Let's go and do likewise. And that, my friends, that's our show. Thank you so much for being with me today. If you're looking for more, soulworkwithson.com, that's the website. San Pope is the IG. I would love to connect with you. I'd love your feedback on the show. Let us know what you guys want to talk about. Now, if this episode blessed you, will you share it with a friend, please? I'd also love if you'd subscribe for more free episodes delivered to your device. Now, leaving a review, it helps us spread the news of the show. So if you do that, I'd be ever so grateful. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Let's heal together, fam, because this is our journey. Now, remember, you're only going to hear one of two statements on that fateful day. Well done or depart from me. Let's live accordingly. I love you. Talk soon.